You're listening to The Deep Cut, a podcast by Atlanta Christian Church, hosted by lead pastor Derek Sweatman and community and spiritual formation pastor Joel Mooneyhan. Each week, we take a closer look at the history and theology surrounding the week's lectionary text to give you a deeper knowledge of God's Word and what it means to us today. We're glad you're here. We hope you enjoy what you find. And now, let's get started. lead us off with that no i'll lead us off as normal yeah we're recording anyway oh good (laughs) this will be an outtake at the beginning yeah to advertise welcome back to this week's deep cut we are moving our way through paul's letter to the thessalonians the first one there are two paul tends to write in doubles um because it's correspondence they write back or they hear back and but we're in the first letter, and our text for this week is chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Uh, Joel's going to read it, and yep. then I'll share a few things, and we'll talk about it. All right, so Paul writes, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel for God in the midst of, church, of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Thank you, Joel. Yep. So, this passage is really cool. There's a lot in here. He does reference their time in Philippi, which is where they are before Thessalonica, and that experience ends up in jail time. And um, so Paul and Silas are in jail in Philippi, Mm -hmm. Uh, the ruffians. (laughs) But if you know the story from, I think it's Acts 16, 16. they, you know, there's an earthquake and the guard on duty notices that some people have escaped because the chains have been cut loose from the walls. But Paul and Silas are still there. And so the, you know, the, the guard wants to just take his own life. You know, because yeah. that's what's going to happen anyway. <laughs> and um, and Paul and Silas yell out, hey, don't do that. We're <laughs> still <laughs> here. <laughs> We're still here. And then they end up just talking about Jesus and uh, all of that. But he ends up letting them go. And they make their way to Thessalonica. So there was some struggle uh, and some shameful treatment, he says in Philippi, that they did make it to Thessalonica, which also was not easy uh, because the message of Jesus is that Jesus is a king, um, and that is a political statement, mm-hmm. and that caused a lot of unrest in Thessalonica enough to get, they, <laughs> I do love the story, I think we said this last week, but uh, they couldn't find Paul and Silas uh, and some of you know the people who were involved in that early church there, so they just grabbed this guy named Jason uh, <laughs> and brought him towards, hey. brought him to the government. <laughs> but Jason was a host of you know these new, believers and so they just found somebody but just jason just there's a jason in the bible um 
and uh, you know, made the case that this is a political uprising. You know, so Paul and Silas and eventually Timothy all have to just leave. Uh, but he he's reflecting back on his time with the Thessalonians, and the plea here. It's not really a plea because I don't think that they thought he was insincere. Paul definitely references these, uh, this tendency of some traveling teachers and philosophers mm -hmm. to swindle people out of their money for some really basic and dumb teachings and then yeah. music man their way on to the next town. <laughs> He's a what? Yeah. He's a music man. He's a music man. You got to know the territory. Um, so, which I reference in my sermon. So, welcome back. But, um, <clears throat> I don't think that they thought he was doing that. He's just yeah. saying, you know that we were not like that. And um, that we weren't here for money or, in, in fact, they funded their own way through. They just temporarily, Paul was a tent maker, a leather worker perhaps, and his <clears throat> other uh, team members worked alongside him. There was no strain financially on this church in Thessalonica. So again, he's just putting forth this like, everything we did for you was out of sincere um, love and care and concern and friendship yeah there's a there's thought about whether or not his his kind of hey I know there's some people who do this bad stuff that, that try to take advantage of you but it's not me and there are thoughts that he might be doing the same kind of defense that he makes in second Corinthians right where people are actively saying hey this guy Paul's a um a charlatan or whatever <clears throat> and it, it doesn't to me it doesn't seem like that's the case here one because it's too early in his career for that to have really gone that way mm -hmm. but he's not getting real specific in second corinthians he gets specific about what the people have been saying but there's a there's kind of a um a typical rhetorical device where they they just kind of hey it's me like their hands are you know, palms up, no harm done here. But I do wonder, and this is just my own speculation, if some of what Paul does in this kind of thing is sort of a disclaimer because of the reputation he had before. Mm -hmm. Because... He had a lot he was overcoming. Yeah, because he, not only was he behind the curve on the whole Jesus thing, but people, when he first converted, people were real skeptical mm -hmm. of him because he actively sought out Christians to to stop the Jesus movement. Um, I don't know. There's no real evidence of that in this, but I do wonder just in general of how much Paul really, how long Paul had to live that down. Because mm -hmm. um, it wouldn't have been, could not have been easy. Yeah, he's but, trying to prove his integrity there. Yeah. Um, and like you said, overcoming maybe a lot of his past and what mm -hmm. he had done previously. Yeah. And I think, too, his, his mentioning sufferings is a way to uh, shine light on that truth about himself, too, and about his coworkers. Like, we're not going to suffer for something that isn't genuine, at least not for long. Like, you can. You can suffer your way through a lie. But it doesn't, personal, physical torment doesn't usually stand up. Yeah, the truth will out. Yeah, you'd much rather just go, you know what, it was all for naught, you know, it wasn't right. true, and um, I'm, I think I'm done with the beatings, 
Yeah, you know. He doesn't gain any... That's an interesting thing about it, is that there's sort of this skeptical view that, you know, the church was a power play in all of this. And there's a good case to be made for that a few hundred years later. But in the very beginning, none of them gained anything mm-hmm. for what they did. And well, all and of he, them died. Well, and Paul horribly. does the, the almost that same thing um, when he's explaining who he is and he's giving his past of like, these are all my accomplish- accomplishments, like, right? Yeah. And all of those things should raise him up, should maybe make him a potential for power and to be in charge and all of this. But he actually dismisses all of that and says, but all of that is for nothing. Very like, it doesn't rudely. matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, he does. But I mean, yeah, he, he, he regards all, all of that, yeah, as just excrement. And that's, the, uh, that's true of all of them is that there was nothing to be gained for saying that, one, that Jesus, a crucified guy, had risen and was the Messiah. So they're not gaining anything from their Jewish standpoint. Mm-hmm. And by proclaiming anybody other than king, uh, as king other than the emperor, you got everything to lose by saying that. And so nothing, no avenue you could talk about Jesus then got you anything but trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were putting a very clear target on your back. Yeah. At that point in the Roman Empire. And a lot of the, moving on from that, the, a lot of the language he ends up using in this little riff is very personal, very friendly, uh, and very disarming. I did, I underlined, just as a point of personal study, went through and underlined every time he used a familial term. Mm-hmm. Mm. And in this text, and I may have missed some, but the word gentle, which we know also is translated infants, mm-hmm. um, mother and children. These are all people very low on the uh, social strata. Yeah, he uh-huh. uses a feminine metaphor. Yes. That's, that's a, yeah. you don't do that. So he is, and Paul will do this in a lot of his work, but he is redefining the cultural boundaries of what makes a church community and even putting himself in a place with these titles of like, those are meaningless in our culture. Yeah. And even the, in verse three, he talks about our appeal does not spring from error and purity. Mm-hmm. That appeal is an appeal you make as a friend in need. Right. It's not, it's not like a, um, I mean, it, it the word you, and I, I didn't write down the word, I should have, but it comes from a place of uh, exhorting or asking uh, from, a submissive mm-hmm. uh, social position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that familiarity is key too, just in the overall message, and knowing that he's he's not writing to a random church or a random group of people that he's never met before, and he's trying to, you know, mm-hmm. turn them into you know one direction, turn them one direction. But he's writing to people that he knows and mm-hmm. probably has some individual relationships within the church um and it's personal which Mm -hmm. is where that familiar familial Mm -hmm. (laughs) language comes into that um and i think that gives more to his like his integrity like hey you know me we're friends yeah he's he's making himself vulnerable Mm -hmm. and he's also putting uh, uh timothy and silas in a vulnerable position yes they're coming at a this last thing that he says in verse 8, which 
I think we'll transition nicely into a talk about just what it means to be sincere. But he says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, mm-hmm. uh, because you became very dear to us. So mm-hmm. this is a very powerful little statement, at least for us on the pastor end, because the mm-hmm. church has a tendency uh, and has had this tendency for long time past to be very insincere in its presentation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And, you know, like it's a sales thing. It's a bottom line thing. It's Mm -hmm. in getting baptismal numbers up. It's to serve some purpose other than just the thing itself. Um, You know, and so I think that the church has to (laughs) reckon with this too, because in everything that, we do every program we do every gathering we do every event we do uh, every service that we do at least on my end i know like there's a and i know you guys will agree because you're subordinates um, <laughs> but oh, gosh but you know what i mean like we have to go Kill into those things with no expectation other than we're doing these events and programs and services to serve right our mm-hmm. people not to win awards not to get book deals not to have anyone notice but just you know we do this event because it's good it's good for us to be together we do this service we want to talk about jesus in this way because it's good to know these things etc there's no other motive um it doesn't mean we don't struggle like with how many did we have (laughs) um but you know, but those are normally conversations for us around, is this something we should continue doing or not? It doesn't really have anything to do with, Is it like, being helpful? Yeah, is it being helpful? It, it, is it meeting a need? Yeah, it has very little to do with our self-worth, because that's already in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, I do, that is a good, not the self-worth thing, but um, not, but just, when I love that he says, that we're not just offering you the gospel of God, we're offering you ourselves. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of pastors who, and I've been guilty of this, uh, but who, it, you do get into that mindset of, like, what am I getting out of this? Mm-hmm. Um, or more, I think, is shielding yourself from having to be vulnerable with these people. Like putting your, I'm yeah. a pastor, and so mm-hmm. I've got it all together. I've got the answers. I'm above reproach and all these other things. And I think that there are pastors who, who want to convey that. And there are people who have that opinion really we're all on an even keel and we should be willing to open ourselves up and give ourselves whatever that looks like to people for the sake of uh, yeah yeah no this really made me think of motives behind like Mm -hmm. you use that word a minute ago too Derek but our motives behind the things we do whether it's programming and, and things we're doing for the church or on an individual basis if it's um in relationships in our lives and if it's you know trying to present the gospel to people who maybe don't know god don't know jesus like what are our motives behind it are we doing something to help to teach to admonish are we doing something to honor god or are we doing something to honor ourselves yeah you know what is it what is it that's our <clears throat> our motivation and in what you were saying joel it made me think of um is what we're saying or what we're doing trying to put ourselves in a place of superiority mm-hmm. and a separation there. So this idea that, I mean, I guess the like old cliche term is 
practice what you preach, but is what is on the inside, like what's inward in you matching what is outward, what's coming out. Yeah, and that that actually feeds into the what I was going to say. I thought that we were reading to verse 12. I read (laughs) read the verse 12. But to that point, in verse 12, he says, uh, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And they're not, he's not, they're not encouraging them to, for any reason, to bolster their own credibility or to give them anything extra. We're just wanting you to walk in a manner worthy of God. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to live and speak and work and live your life in a way that shows that you're God's people. Nothing else. I, I, if I get anything for it, great. If I don't, great. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Really, the encouragement that Paul is saying is this is not about me or about my reputation or about my ego. Just trying to encourage you to walk like God. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think that each of us and, and a lot of people who we know and love would, would agree that that's kind of the thing that's motivating us. Yeah. And that looks a lot different. I mean, that looks differently. To, I mean, depending on who you are, there's a what one person might do to to walk that way is different from what somebody else might do and trying to encourage people to let's all of us work that out together and see the best way we can do that where we live where we work you know in our families with our friends and so on well paul was not a personal disciple of jesus but we know from jesus and his own disciples and their experiences like they had a hard time learning to get comfortable with Jesus's comfort with people who like weren't believers. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? That's the best word I can think of. But like Jesus had a certain comfort level with people who may quote, never come around to his message. And he didn't seem real preoccupied with it. It did not bother him. And, and yet it bothers the church sometimes, Mm -hmm. not just pastors, but people in within the church too. Uh, you know, there on one side, there are people who feel like that's the bottom line, like everybody in the building has to come around. Um, and then there are people in the building who aren't coming around, but fear that if they don't, then they can't remain mm-hmm. friends or deeply connected, you know, in a friendship way to the church. And both of those are wrong. Yeah. And um, I think about the parable of the sower mm-hmm. and how... Jesus does focus on the different soils. Uh-huh. You know, he explains the parable to his disciples. You know, if you don't know the parable, it's this parable of the <laughs> sower who's just throwing seed on all these different kinds of soil. Some are very fertile, some are not, and then everything in between. And then after the parable, of course, the disciples were like, what did that mean, Jesus? <laughs> and then he begins to walk through like, well, some seed falls on this kind of soil and this kind of soil and this kind of soil. And he just talks about the different it represents different kinds of people. And um, and that's what the soil represents. But we've, we fail to remember that the parable is really about the sower. Yeah. And this indiscriminate, like, I'm just wasting the gospel yeah. on all of these types of soil. Because no farmer worth his salt would waste <laughs> seed on a place where he knew it wasn't going to grow. Exactly. Um, Again, Jesus uses the story to make God look dumb. <laughs> You know, in the eyes of extravagantly the world. wasteful yeah and there's also the 
we're talking about Jesus' disciples, I mean, and his comfort with the people who didn't come around. But even within the 12, you had a very diverse political and social mix. You did. Who would not have gotten together otherwise. And I, I often joke that the first time all of them, all 12 of them were in the same place at the same time, some of them looked at the others and said, why did he invite mm-hmm. that guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cause you had, together? Yeah, because you had a few fishermen, you had a tax collector, and you had a, a couple guys who were known to have carried weapons, mm-hmm. and they would not have all been friends. Mm-hmm. And we don't even really know. We know that sometimes they didn't get along at all. And Jesus was kind of like, all right, I mean, that mm-hmm. I'm bringing you together. Welcome to the new world. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to have to get along. Or, or even if you can't get along, you're going to have to accept the fact that we're all, at least yeah. in theory, after the same thing. And we got to figure out how to make that work. Yeah, that first meal together had to have been like all the, the nightmares Thanksgiving story meals that we hear <laughs> just about today. Passive-aggressive. Here comes all the family together. Like, let's not talk about X, Y, and Z. I'm so sick of this, Uncle John. Yeah. So, yeah, it's true. Well, it it goes back to to what we were talking about last week with community. I mean, with the disciples, the thing they all had in common was their relationship with Jesus, right? Like, that's what brought them together and kept them together for all that time. And with our church community, what makes us a community is, while we can't walk through the doors together right now, you know, virtually we're doing that. We're gathering together. Mm -hmm. The thing that makes us a community is not all the things we have in common. Mm -hmm. The thing that makes us a community is that we're choosing to be together. We're choosing to be a part of this church together. And it's about the one big thing that we Mm -hmm. have in common. Mm -hmm. Because we we often don't have a lot in common. Well, and if there's one redeeming (laughs) visual about the Zoom church experience, and just so everybody who's listening knows, it's not our favorite thing, <laughs> but we do love it too. Um, but you know, the one visual interesting part about it is that it's a flat screen, and like, yeah. it really is a flat world. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is a flat congregation. Everybody, it just has an equal square. You know, and yeah. so there's a nice little visual thing here. But um, I think I love is a strong word, though. Yeah. Loving it. I'm just kidding. Yeah, love, love could be a. That's a. That's a bit of an overreach. Love. Speaking of insincerity, <laughs> we love. appreciate it. Yeah, we are thankful. <laughs> we are thankful that Zoom exists. Um, but yeah, I would also point out too that in back in chapter one, Paul puts the outline for this letter: work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. Yeah. And in this first section, we're really getting that work of faith piece. Mm -hmm. with a little crossover of the labor of love you know so he's moving right along through all of this and you know in the few minutes we have left i think the the big topic here is to be a people who are sincere and i think coming back to our uh discussion about who comes around and who doesn't Mm -hmm. it's like the church and i think in general too not just about faith but just in life like when we when we think about our relationships as leverage mm-hmm. versus um you know i don't know like when we think about yeah when we think about our relationships as things that we might leverage for our benefit that's the real checkpoint of like this passage seeps into all of that like am i able to go through life and allow people to just be who they are and still remain deeply in love with who they are uh 
whether or not they ever come around to my way of thinking or not. That's really the, that's the push point here for me. And it's, that's a tough thing because we want, again, I, th- I think that whether we admit it or not, or maybe even whether we recognize it or not, a lot of times we want people to come around, mm-hmm. not because we think that, we want them to come around so that we can say we did it. Well, and this Look has anything us. to do Look with someone me. who's in danger. Right. Yeah. We're just talking about ideologies. We're talking yeah. about faith. We're talking about just any number of things that doesn't have to do with somebody's yeah. health or well-being. Just and any of those conversations, it's it's not you're not really wanting them to it, if you if you're really obsessed with it. There's probably some aspect of it where you do want them to see the truth, or however you want to say that. But I think there is an element of it that's just like I want the the hash mark on the school card that I, I got that person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I got that person mm-hmm. and I got those 10 people or whatever. And Jesus, he, he doesn't really, it, it doesn't seem, again, it's not like the scorecard thing. It's just go, go do this mm-hmm. and I'll take care of the rest. And if they come to Jesus because of you, you may not ever know it. Mm-hmm. And you have to be willing to let go of that and just say, if this really is for Jesus, then I just need to care for them like Jesus would and let Jesus fill in the gaps mm-hmm. and then let go of any other sort of coercion or, you know, clever rhetoric or trying to twist their arm to convince them. Just, just yeah, I was going to say, I think, I think that guides us <clears throat> or it um, affects the way we approach people. Yeah. Because if we are approaching for the scorecard that we're, that no one else cares about but us right then we are going to approach it in a in a like i mean not direct i'm trying to think of the word but just almost harsher or like more zealous like i have to get this person Mm -hmm. versus like i just want to share this truth of love with them and love them no matter what happens yeah like that your approach is going to be completely different to somebody and the tension around social media is almost entirely based in people trying to persuade thought mm-hmm. and you know it's it, it's largely toxic but it's just every post every whatever is a is a it's either a very small or a very obvious attempt to change someone's thinking you know mm-hmm. or to um, or to draw a line between my thinking and yours yeah. mm-hmm. and I think debate is very good and I think it's good to hear we should be listening openly to everybody but um, when that becomes our sole purpose in life mm-hmm. um, it makes it hard and it's frustrating for some people in the church when I would say we fall into this category but we just don't push as hard as maybe other churches might with the message of Jesus because I mean I feel like we're giving the message of Jesus just like anybody else but it's really up to people you know and it's up to whatever you know, they're hearing and processing, and you know, I think people are welcome. Well, it's just to, to be that way. Effectively, I feel like the idea is to, you know, to make an introduction, mm-hmm. and the way you, you you know, people who like if if I heard that somebody was a good friend of one of y'all, I think they're probably a decent person, mm-hmm. and because I know y'all. Or any, any, any number of people. And I think the idea is to, to live a life in such a way that when someone hears that you know Jesus, they'll think, well, Jesus is probably pretty good. And, and 
reflect what that friendship or what that relationship means. And maybe you make the introduction, maybe somebody else does, but you know, you, you can be known by the reputation of your friends. And if Jesus is known by the reputation of who we are, then we can just trust that whenever, however that happens, mm-hmm. I say, oh, I've heard a lot about you and I'm happy to meet you. Yeah, I heard years ago Andy Stanley say about people in Jesus, he's, he said something like, we don't, we as the church don't make or form that or force that relationship, but we can arrange the introduction. Mm-hmm. And that's all we, that's all we can do. And I think that uh, that is the most sincere form of ministry is just, let me tell you this story, but it's really, it's up to you, but you can yeah. always, you're always our friend. Yeah. With that, we'll close it down. Adios. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Deep Cut. If you'd like more episodes, want to listen through our archives of sermon series, or if you're in the Atlanta area and want to learn more about ACC's mission and ministry, you can find us online at www.atlantachristianchurch.org or follow us on Instagram at the handle Atlanta Christian Church. Special thanks to Jeff Box and Dave Hick for our musical themes, and thanks again to you for listening. We'll be back next week, but until then, y'all have a good one, and go with Christ, grace and peace, and we will see you soon.